second Bible reading is taken from John chapter 15, verse 12 to 15. This can also be found on page 1130 in the Pew Bibles. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Gary. Uh, just a, a quick note, point of note before we make a start. You might have noticed in your handout you've got another bit of paper to normal. Uh, this, is the ha- this is the layout we'll use. So if you're a note taker and you want to take notes and follow along, that's the one to follow along on. Don't follow along on the one in the handout that's it's out of date. So the loose bit of paper is the one to use. Well, as we begin, I'm going to pray for our time. So please uh, pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is uh, breathed out by you and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. We thank you it's a light for our feet and that it's food for our souls. Would you nourish us now as we sit under your word? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, how would you like to live here with nothing to do but to sip coconuts, to build some sandcastles, catch some waves and to work on your suntan, or if you're deathly pale like me, work on your sunburn. How would you, how'd you like to do that? It sounds idyllic, doesn't it? A beach paradise. Well, one man did get to experience that for four years, in fact, because this island here is the island from the movie Castaway. Uh, you might be familiar with it. It's the story of a man called Chuck. Uh, he survived a plane crash just off this island. He then made it onto the island, and he then spent the next four years there. But despite living in such a beautiful paradise, Chuck was desperately unhappy. Why? Well, it wasn't the climate, year-round beach weather. It wasn't the food, coconut and fish aren't too bad. It wasn't the setting, a lush tropical beach. No, the reason for Chuck's uh, desperate unhappiness was because of his solitude. It was because of his loneliness. In fact, he gets so desperate to counter his loneliness that he builds for himself a companion, Wilson, who is a volleyball, and he puts some fake hair into Wilson, paints a face on him. And then for four years, Wilson, a volleyball, is his only companion, and he's so desperate for companionship that he ends up even talking with this volleyball. And then in the climactic scene of the movie, apologies in advance for plot spoilers, it's been out for 20 years, you should have seen it already, so I'm going to give plot spoilers. But in the climactic scene of the movie, as he's escaping through a storm on a raft, Wilson gets washed overboard. And it's a, it's a really sad scene, but what Chuck does is he jumps overboard to try and save Wilson. And we might wonder, why would he risk his own life for a volleyball? Well, it's because for four years, that volleyball was his only companion. Loneliness is a terrible thing. It can turn the most beautiful, idyllic location into hell on earth. Loneliness is a terrible thing. 
And it's always been an issue, but actually it's increasingly becoming an issue, um, particularly here in the Western world. I just saw a study that was out this week that said that 40% of Australian males report to loneliness. According to another study I saw, around 45% of adults say they're lonely. That's almost half of the population. And this is concerning because loneliness actually has huge consequences. It increases the risk of death by 26%. And it is as bad or worse for your health as obesity and smoking. And we know as well that loneliness, sadly, is a big factor in suicidal thoughts and even worse, in the absolute tragedy of actual suicide. Sadly, almost nine Australians die every day by suicide, and loneliness is a huge contributing factor in that. Loneliness is a terrible thing. And in fact, it's such an issue that governments are now starting to uh, create governmental roles or governmental jobs to address it. England's just appointed their first minister for loneliness, and recently, this is what he said, he said that loneliness is, quote, the next global public health emergency. And I'm sure all of that resonates with your experience. We've all experienced at one time or another the awfulness of loneliness. I recently read the story of uh, Elizabeth Elliot. You might be familiar with her. She's the wife of the famous uh, missionary Jim Elliot, who died sadly trying to take uh, the gospel, make gospel contact with tribesmen in Ecuador. And she tells of this time, just a year after her husband had died, where she was sitting on a plane. And she looked across and she saw her husband get something for his wife. Just the most mundane of scenes you could imagine. And yet that most mundane of scenes made her feel so desperately lonely. This is what she says about it. Only the most ordinary of gestures, meaning almost nothing, I suppose, to them. But for me, sitting by the window, looking out at the cold stars, it speaks of a whole world that is lost to me now. A man and a woman together, his hands stretched out, toward her to help. See, at that moment, she felt the awfulness of loneliness. And I'm sure that resonates with us. We've all experienced loneliness like that. For some of us, we've experienced exactly that. We're widows who have lost our spouse, and we feel the weight of that crushing loneliness. But for others, we might not have experienced that exact type of loneliness, but we still know just how terrible loneliness is. The loneliness of sitting at home after a long day of work all alone, with no one to talk to. The loneliness that comes when your best friend moves into state and so now you feel like there's no one left to talk to and spend time with. The loneliness that comes when your kids are all grown up and they move out of the house and so now the house feels so empty, empty dining table, empty lounge, empty bedrooms. And sadly, maybe you've even experienced loneliness here at church. Maybe you've been coming along for months or even years now and yet you still feel like you don't have even a single close friend here. Loneliness is a terrible thing. And so it begs the question then, does God care about my loneliness? When God sees the loneliness crushing down on me, does God even care? Well, to answer that, we need to go to the Bible, and, and in the Bible, it makes very clear, God shows very clearly that He does care about and that He does understand our loneliness. loneliness. Now, I'm going to touch briefly on a whole bunch of passages. Don't look them up in your Bible. I'll put them up on the screen. 
The first one, the first passage about loneliness is right at the start of the Bible, Genesis 2. God sees that man is alone, and what does he say? He says it's not a good thing. Genesis 2, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. See, God himself is the one who says that loneliness is a terrible thing. And so he gives Adam a companion. God gives marriage. A marriage is a good thing that does help address loneliness. But of course, this is a fallen world and there can be loneliness even inside of marriage. If there's a failure of love or even worse, if there's abuse within marriage, in which case marriage itself is a terribly lonely place where someone can feel trapped and afraid. But even in a loving and stable marriage, there can still be times of loneliness through misunderstanding or failures to communicate, a loss of affection. So marriage is a good thing, but it's not always the solution to loneliness. God also understands the loneliness of physical illness. We see that a lot with Job. Uh, He certainly knew what physical illness was all about. This is what he says about it. God has alienated me from my family. My acquaintances are completely estranged from me. My relatives have gone away. My breath is offensive to my wife. I am loathsome to my family. All my intimate friends detest me. Those I love have turned against me. See, Job knew the loneliness of physical illness. And then, of course, there's the loneliness of mental illness, such as severe depression. Now, some of you would know what that's about. Many of us have family or friends who struggle with that, or maybe we struggle ourselves. And God understands the loneliness of that. And that's why we see it in glimpses in the Bible. In fact, I think that's what might be going on there in Psalm 88. Uh, This is what the psalmist says. He says, you have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest of depths. I've heard someone describe depression before as like being in a dark cave. And that seems to be what the psalmist says. He then continues and, and goes on. Your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. You have taken me, taken from me, friend and neighbor. Darkness is my closest friend. Mental illness can be a terribly isolating thing, and God understands that. Then there's loneliness of being a foreigner. We see that in the story of Ruth. She's a widow. She loses her husband. She's got a mother-in-law who's also a widow, and they move to a foreign land, or she moves to a foreign land, and she's desperately lonely and extremely vulnerable until somebody reaches out to her to help her. And it might be that the loneliness of being a foreigner in a foreign country might be something you're still struggling with. Well, God understands that, and God cares about your loneliness. There's also the loneliness that comes from poverty. There's a whole bunch of Proverbs that talk about that. Proverbs 14 says, the poor are shunned even by their neighbors. There's loneliness in poverty, isn't there? Feeling like nobody's there with you, feeling like you're on your own. What's the remedy for that? Is it wealth? Well, not at all. In fact, Ecclesiastes talks about this, and it says that wealth itself can be a cause of loneliness. This is what Ecclesiastes 4 says. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a miserable business. That is the loneliness of workaholic wealth, money galore, but no one to share it with, just a deep loneliness. 
And I could go on and on. Time and time again, the Bible makes clear that God sees you in your loneliness. God cares about your loneliness. And even more amazingly than Him just seeing you in it, God has actually done something about it. And so we're going to spend the rest of our time today looking at two passages that helps us see God's solution to your loneliness. And as we do, we'll see two key solutions. God has given a family of faith, and God has given a faithful friendship. The first solution is that God has given, God has given for your loneliness, is a family of faith. God is offering you to be part of His family. And at its best, we know family is a wonderful thing. It's someone to be by your side through thick and thin. Someone who won't abandon you when times get tough. It's a deeper bond than just shared hobbies or interests. It's a bond that goes to our core. It's a bond of DNA. But of course, some of us might have grown up in broken homes or families impacted by divorce. Some of us might have never even known our families. Or some of us might feel like we don't belong in our family, connected by nothing other than DNA. And that can make us feel terribly lonely. And even those families that are good, they're not perfect. They're a collection of sinners together, and sinner plus sinner equals more sin. And so that means there'll be pain and hurt, there'll be letdowns and disappointments, which can leave us with, again, a deep sense of loneliness. But what God offers us is a perfect family of faith. Flip your Bible to John 1, it was our first Bible reading, so open up to John 1. Here, this is the start of John's gospel account of Jesus' life. And as he starts, John summarizes what Jesus' mission was. And as he summarizes it, he does so in terms of family. John says that at its core, Jesus' mission was to bring us into God's family. Have a look at John 1, starting at verse 11. Jesus came to that which was his own, so that is to the world, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of a natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. For all who receive Jesus, who believe in his name, who trust his life, death, and resurrection, who put their hope in him, for all who do that, then we get to be welcomed into God's family. We get to be called children of God. And what that means in this new family of faith is that we get a heavenly father. And dads are great. Some of my fondest memories growing up are time spent with my dad at the beach, going and looking at rock pools, catching waves, and just spending time chatting together. Dads guide us in uncertain times, they protect us in dangerous times. They provide for us in times of need. Dads are great. But for some of us growing up, our dad was never around, or when he was around, he didn't love us or care for us in the way we wished he would. And even for those of us who did have good dads, they weren't perfect. They still let us down sometimes. But this Heavenly Father will never let us down. His love for us will never fade. His care for us will never dwindle. His interest in us will never diminish. And that means that He is the solution to our loneliness because He is always there for us, even when no one else is. 
He's always interested in us, even when no one else is. He's always available for us, even when no one else is. Are you feeling lonely? Do you feel like there's no one who cares about you? Well, this perfect heavenly Father cares about you. This new faith family also means that we get an older brother, Jesus. And how good are older brothers? There's someone to look up to and to admire, someone who will keep an eye out for us and make sure we're going okay. The other day I was at home with Levi and Noah and I had to duck out into the kitchen for a moment. And when I came back, do you know what I saw? Levi had gone up next to Noah and he'd sat down by Noah's head and they were just, he was just talking to him. And he was teaching him how to play and they were, well, he was singing songs at Noah. And it was beautiful to say, I should have taken a photo. But that's what good older brothers do. They look out for their younger brothers. And as good as Levi is to Noah... Jesus is even better as an older brother. He won't just be there for us sometimes, but will be there for us always. He won't just love us when we're in a good mood, but he'll love us at all times. He won't just be kind to us when we're on our best behavior, but will be kind to us even when we're at our absolute worst. See, when you're feeling lonely, come to your heavenly older brother. He'll always be there for you even when no one else is. And finally, this new faith family means that we also get a whole bunch of brothers and sisters, our church family. A family that will be there to laugh with us in the good times and to weep with us in the hard times. To praise God with us when we're growing in our faith and to pray for us at times of struggle. To mourn deaths, to celebrate marriages and to rejoice as new children are born. That's what God offers us with this faith family, a heavenly father, an older brother, and a bunch of siblings. And what that means then is that even when our own family disappoints us, or when we lose our family, we still have a family to be part of. You might be familiar with the story of Horatio Spafford. He's the author of uh, the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul, one of my favorite hymns. It's a great hymn, a wonderful hymn. But do you know the story behind it? Horatio's wife and his four daughters died in a boat accident. And he actually wrote that song as he was sailing over the top of where they died. It's a terrible thing. Imagine the loneliness of losing your wife and your four daughters. It has the potential to be almost crushing. Yet, when the loneliness of that loss threatened to overwhelm him, he found solace in his heavenly family. And that is why he could say, it is well with my soul, even as he mourned the loss of his wife and four daughters. And that is what God offers us. A faith family, so that we never need to be alone again. And God also offers us a faithful friendship. And friendship, I think, is something we instinctively long for. But sadly, we can't always find the kind of friendship that we do long for, even here at church. I know of one lady who joined a church, of course not our church, joined a church, and she desperately wanted to be part of the in crowd. And so she volunteered to serve, she came along to everything, she tried to ingratiate herself by being overly friendly, she even uh, offered to babysit some of the other women's kids, all in a hope to try and build a friendship, to try and get in. But months went by, 
and no friendships had formed. So she began thinking negative thoughts. I must not be funny enough. I, I, must, I wish I was more spiritual so that then they could be impressed by me. And this all caused a great deal of pain. And she wondered, she wondered to herself, can't, can't people recognize that I'm hurt and that I'm lonely? I wonder whether you've ever experienced something like that. I'm sorry if you have, particularly if it's here at our church. But we have to wonder, well, what's the solution then? Where can we find the friendship that we long for? Well, it's Jesus. Others may fail to give us the friendship we desire, but Jesus never will. So flip your Bible with me to the second passage for today. John 15, so just a a couple of pages across. John 15. And this is Jesus speaking here, and this is the Last Supper, the evening before he's about to die, and this is what Jesus says, John 15, verse 15. Speaking to his disciples, I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends, for everything that I've learned from my father, I've made known to you. At his final night on earth, at his final meal, Jesus says to his disciples, you are my friends. No other religious leader offers this. Buddha doesn't. Muhammad doesn't. Charles Darwin doesn't, yet Jesus does. Jesus, the King of the universe, the one who made all things, says that we can be his friends, which is staggering. I mean, he's the King. What we, at best, what we should get with him is to be his servants, his lowly servants. He's the master, we're the servants. That's the best we can hope for. And we know that kings aren't friends with their servants. Think about King Charles. Do you think King Charles ever goes out on a late-night KFC run with his servants? Do you think he ever sits down with them to watch the footy? Do you think he ever banters and jokes around with them? Of course not. They wouldn't dream of being that with him. He's the king and they're the servants. Yet this king offers to be our friends. A friend who shares our joys and our struggles who knows us intimately because he made us, a friend who's seen us at our worst and yet hasn't abandoned us, who's been so often hurt by us and yet is still there for us. See, that's the kind of friend Jesus is and that is why he's the ultimate solution to our loneliness, a faithful friend. And how do we know he's for real? Well, because he's shown it by dying for us. Some people talk a big game, but then they fail to deliver. But not Jesus. Because the very next day after this, he went out and died for us, his friends. I wonder how many of your friends would be willing to die for you? If someone put the gun to their head and said, it's you or it's them, how many of them do you think would take the bullet for you? Well, Jesus did. He took the bullet of sin for your sake so that you might live. Have you ever longed for a friend that would love you so much that they would do anything for you? Have you ever wished that someone cared so much about you that they would love you even at tremendous cost to themselves? Have you ever wished for a friendship 
that wasn't just superficial and surface level. Well, that is what God offers you, a faithful friendship with Jesus. And if we have this friendship, then it allows us to weather the storms of life. After the sermon today, we're going to close by singing our final song is, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. And it's a beautiful hymn with wonderful words. Let me share with you just the first two lines of it. This is what it says. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. And the man who wrote it, Joseph Scriven, he had first-hand experience at carrying everything to God in prayer. As a young man, he was engaged to be married, and so he was excited for his wedding. But you know what happened? On the night before they were to get married, his fiancée died. Imagine the heartbreak, hours away from that, and yet losing your fiancée. The loneliness that came after that must have been profound. It must have been crushing. But the tragedy actually didn't stop there because a few years later, he was engaged to be married again. And yet again, just before they got married, his fiancé died again. Imagine that. Imagine losing not just one fiancé, but two fiancés. And yet, he was able to go through that unimaginable tragedy and loneliness because he knew the truth, that Jesus is his friend, his faithful friend, a friend who mourns with him at the loss of his fiancés, but who has given new life for Scriven and for his fiancés at the price of his own life. See, that's what Jesus is, the ultimate friend. And when loneliness threatens to crush us like Scriven, we too can find hope in the faithful friendship of Jesus, knowing that he cares about us, knowing that he's there with us, knowing that he's weeping with us and consoling us. But even more than that, knowing that he has done something about it. For in his death and in his resurrection, Jesus has ensured that our future is a future with no more death or mourning or crying or pain. That is the kind of friend that Jesus is. And so we come back to our question then from the start. Does God care about your loneliness? Well, absolutely. So much so that he's offered you the solution to that. A family of faith and a faithful friend. And so then how should we respond? Well, John 15 verse 12. Have a look. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. When I, heard, when I read that verse and was thinking about that verse, it reminded me a bit of that trend, I don't know if you remember it, pay it forward. Do you remember that? It was big a few years ago, pay it forward. It's where if someone does something kind to you, what you're meant to do is then do something kind to someone else. You pay forward the kindness. And in a sense, that's a little bit like what Jesus is saying here. God has come to us in our loneliness and he's been there for us in our loneliness. And so we go to others in their loneliness. And it's worth reflecting, I wonder, what kind of church would we be if we were a pay-it-forward church? If every single one of us here was conscious of the love and the welcome that God has shown us, and so we paid it forward, if we loved as we have been loved. I've got one friend, uh, when the first thing he does when church ends is he looks for someone new to talk to. And when I chatted to him about it, he used the language of triaging. 
He said, I always look for those in the most need. There's always time to chat to my other friends later, but I look for the person in the most need first. That's paying it forward. That is loving as we have been loved. But of course, it's not just limited to the newcomers. There are people here at our church who have been coming along for months or, or maybe even years, yet still don't really even have any good friends here. So we can look out for them as well, both newcomers and regulars, whoever is in the most need. That is paying it forward. That's loving as we have been loved. And I have another friend who loves asking people how he can pray for them. He knows praying is the best thing we can do for someone. It's the most loving thing. So that's always what he offers. But then he doesn't want to forget to do it. So what he does then often is he will pray on the spot for whatever it is they've asked for prayer about. That's paying it forward. That's loving as we've first been loved. I remember visiting another church about six years ago or so. And on the first day I was there, I was invited over for lunch by three different families, so many so I couldn't even take them all up on it, but that made an impression on me. It showed me that they were actually interested in me, that they actually wanted to welcome me and care for me. And so I can still remember that six years later. See, chatting to someone here at church is good, it's a great thing, but inviting them over for a meal or going out for a meal together afterwards, that takes things to a whole extra level and it takes the friendship and the care to a whole other level. That is paying it forward. That's loving as we've first been loved. And I'm sure if we were to put our minds to it, there are a million other ways we could come up with, a million other things we could think of to pay it forward. A million other ways to love as we have first been loved. See, God has come to us in our loneliness. And so we can go out to others and help them. And of course, we don't do any of that out of duty or obligation. It's not thinking that we're earning anything from God but rather we do it out of love, knowing the right order. God has loved us first, and so we pay it forward. We love others. God has come to us in our loneliness, and so we go out to others in their loneliness. And so are you feeling lonely and disconnected? Do you long for relational warmth and depth? God hears you. And God cares about your loneliness. And he's given you a family of faith and a faithful friendship so that you never need to be lonely again. I'm going to pray and thank God for that. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you love us so much that you sent your son for us. We thank you that because of him, we can be welcomed into your family and we have him as our faithful friend. We do confess that so often we feel lonely, we feel disconnected, we feel isolated, we long for a relationship with others. Would you, for any of us today that's feeling like that, would you comfort us? Would you draw us near? Would you help us find solace in the arms of our faithful friend and our family of faith? Thank you that Jesus is the ultimate friend and he's shown that by dying for our sake so that we might be welcomed into your family. It's in his name we pray. Amen.